and welcome to Vroom, your motorsport fix sponsored by Skin Sexual Health. Ride hard, play safe. Two wheels and four wheels, that's the story of this week's show. I'll be joined in a few moments' time by Jack Passfield, a young Aussie rider racing in ASBK Supersport. And a little bit later on, we'll be meeting Ayrton Simmons, the 20-year-old British driver who is racing alongside Formula One in the FIA Formula 3 Championship. He's racing for the Jerus team, and we'll be having an in-depth chat with him a little bit later on in the show. Before we start, uh, some breaking news. Mark Marquez will return to MotoGP action. He'll be on track at the Circuit of the Americas this weekend, racing in the American Grand Prix. And a quick recap, of course, from the two-day test that has just been held at Motorland Aragon. Jonathan Ray, Toprak Razgatlioglu and Alvaro Bautista, the top three in the two-day test for World Superbike. Uh, Jules Cluzel was fastest for Yamaha, just ahead of Nicola Bulaga and Lorenzo Baldassari. In the World Supersport Series, Jan Onshu was also in the mix. So too, Nikki Tooley. All of the manufacturers very much uh, locked together in what should be a fantastic World Supersport season. And young uh, Dutch rider Victor Steyman, uh, who was moved from KTM to Kawasaki, topped the uh, leaderboard in World Supersport 300. Again, very, very close. Uh, 28 riders covered by less than two seconds. It promises to be an enthralling and exciting season in World Superbike. We'll be bringing you a full review of the opening round of the championship next week. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's show. Skins. Ride hard, play safe. My first guest on the Vroom podcast this week is Australian rider Jack Passfield, uh, a rider that I met a few years ago when World Superbike was in Phillip Island. Jack, thank you for dialing in. I was going to say good morning, but it's good evening, I think, where you are. Yeah, it's about 8.30 at night here, but I um, appreciate to be able to have the chat with you. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, obviously, you're dialing in from, from sunny Sydney, um, and I guess you're in, the, you, you're in summer there, right? Or are you in winter now? I uh, know this is our... Well, it's autumn. So yeah, it's in between. It's in between. So, See, this is why I yeah. this is why I talk absolute crap on a stage <laughs> for a job and don't teach geography in a secondary school because yeah. uh, you know our I, summer ends in February. Ah, yeah, that's right. Because we used to come um, Phillip Island in February for World Supers, and it was always baking hot. I always remember that. So uh, fingers crossed, we'll be there this year. Um, but in November, yeah. which I guess is going to be a bit of a bit of a change for well, certainly for me, I, I like coming to Phillip Island in february because i can celebrate my birthday in the sunshine and i guess now if we come in november it's going to rain right um it's still hopefully going to still be pretty warm because november so see our summer starts again in december so yeah hopefully it will still be pretty nice weather down there but you never know Phil Island. it's pretty all over the place yeah it does have its kind of its own little microclimate doesn't it i remember you you, you can come in glorious if, for those of you that are listening they've never been to philip island it's it's an amazing once you actually get to the other side of the world it is actually well worth it you you come out of melbourne and you drive along and then you get to the bridge i always stop every year and just take the picture of the bridge it's like yep i'm here and then you go over the bridge and it could be glorious sunshine on the the australia mainland go across the bridge and it's raining two miles up the road and i i, I can never get my head around that it's quite bizarre it's quite bizarre 
but yeah, I don't know. It, it's 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 an experience, definitely. If you've never been to Phillip Island, it's definitely one for the uh, for the bucket list. Now, obviously, Jack, um, thanks for joining us. Um, as I said, I think I first met you three or four years ago. You were racing in in Supersport. It's been tough in Australia for the last couple of years, hasn't it? I know I spoke to uh, to a couple of, of Aussie riders, and they were saying, "Oh, it's it's so frustrating because you guys locked down pretty hard." Yeah, we were especially um, at the start. We had about probably three to four months in lockdown. And then we've had another one, sort of like a second wave. And they sort of hit both in our motorcycle seasons. So um, in 2020, we only did um, three rounds and one round was a double round, so really two. And then in 2021, we only did three rounds. So all up in the last two years, I've probably done about eight to 10 races. Wow, no, that's tough. Yeah, I, re- I remember because we we did World Superbike 2020 and we thought this is great. It was such a great weekend, yeah. wasn't it? And I think that's, I think you were on the paddock show and a whole lot of guys. We we involved the, the Australian Superbike series in a really big way, and it was it was such a great start to the season. The racing was fantastic. We got on a plane, headed back, and I was going straight to Qatar. Got off the plane in Qatar, and everyone was dressed like beekeepers with all the. I thought, what, what the hell happened? Like we just got on a plane and everything was fine, and then the whole world just stopped. It was. Yeah, I did kind of feel for you guys, though, because, you know, it, it, you guys went really strict. Um, yeah. And obviously, as you said, you've, you've done 10 races in two years. I mean, that's how would, as an athlete, obviously, as a young athlete as well, how do you how did you deal with that? Because, I mean, that must be so yeah. frustrating. It was really hard because I was on re- a really good run with momentum as well. Like I finished the 2019 off with two podiums and then they were my first podiums in Super Sport 600 as well. And then I came out really firing in 2020. I had a new bike ready to go. And then I was obviously um, riding really well down there too. I was up with the front guys and unfortunately had a crash and then finished with two fourths with a bit of an injury as well. So I was looking forward to the year a lot. And then when it all shut down, it sort of killed a lot of momentum. And um, yeah, it's been hard to keep that pace there without all the practicing and everything like that. So um, yeah, it's been tough, but we're back to sort of a normal year now. So hopefully we'll get back into the swing of things and we'll be back right where we were before. Yeah. And I'd say again, Australian Superbikes just started. I was tuned in. I mean, this, people say like, do I ever sleep? Like, no, is the answer. I mean, I was tuned in watching because <laughs> um, you guys had that opening round of the, of, of the championship and a lot of changes in Aussie Superbikes this year. A couple of tracks coming back. Was it Queensland? I think was back on the calendar. Yeah. So Queensland Raceway is back on there. And I think uh, we're even going to Tasmania this year. Nice. Um, so that'll be an interesting round because a lot of the current riders haven't even raced there before or ridden there. So um, that one will definitely be wide open. And there's a lot of rider like changes this year as well, different teams. And a lot of the guys have stepped up to the Superbike class. So it's definitely interesting. Yeah, I see like Brian Starring, who a lot of our listeners will know from, from his time in Europe. Uh, he's gone across to Ducati. Mike Jones has kind of gone the opposite way and gone to Yamaha. So it's all all changed over. It's um, yeah. But that's that's good to see because there was a few few years back when, I mean, I think the Aussie series went through a bit of a difficult time, didn't it? There was two or three different championships running at the same time, which certainly in Europe, we could never really get our head around it. Well, which is the real Aussie championship, which is a, you know, it was a bit weird, but... They've done a good job in the last few years, haven't they? You know, you've got full grids pretty much in every class, even in superbikes. I mean, you've got 25, 26 guys pretty much minimum every race. Yeah, and the comp- like the competitiveness is definitely coming back as well. Like every time we go to a track, we're breaking the like, records from the year before. And um, all the factory guys are there. They're not racing in any other series. So, yeah, it's definitely picking the level up and hopefully it continues. 
Yeah, obviously you mentioned you're in Supersport. I'm really interested to talk to you about that. Obviously, you're back on track this year. Um, still riding Yamaha? Yeah, so I'm on an R6. I've been on a Yamaha R6 for the last four years now. The last two probably don't really count, but um, yeah, it's been good. I've really enjoyed the bike. It's definitely the bike to be on in the field. Um, we get a lot of Yamaha backing as well here as the privateers. So um, yeah, every, basically there's probably like three or four other bikes on the grid that aren't Yamaha's. But yeah, it's good that we're all on a level playing field, I guess, as well though. Yeah, and obviously my interest really in Supersport this year, as I say, we're recording this podcast just before the start of the the, the World Superbike World Supersport Series. Um, new rules in Europe. Um, I'm also involved in Moto America. There's new rules in Supersport. Their next generation is what they're calling it, where they're allowing you know the Triumph 765, the Ducati V-Twin, uh, MV Augusta 800s. What are the rules in ASBK? Because I didn't see any Ducati Panigales on the grid in the opening round. I didn't see any Triumphs. Well, not the, the new model Triumphs that are going to be allowed. So are, are you guys kind of running the same rules or are you old style super sport this year? What, what, what is the situation? We're currently the old style. Um, the only thing we've changed this year is going to the slicks, like the world super sport okay. um, from the, the super courses. Um, at the moment, I think our rules are very limited. So like Ollie was on one of the Ducatis at the test and he was like, his top speed was probably another 10, 20 Ks up on us. So, um, the way we're not allowed to modify our engines as much, I think the compar like comparity would be very hard to achieve here, like compared to overseas. Oh yeah, because you're um, more like a, it's more like a super stock rule, isn't it? Yeah. So we're allowed to do like. Yeah, we're allowed to do the suspension and everything like that, but the engines are very stock. Like, we do a few tiny things to the head and um, basically an exhaust and a tune. That's about all we're allowed to do to the engine. Okay, so yeah, running next-gen rules wouldn't really work because you wouldn't be able to yeah. have that parity. You wouldn't be able to make it as, as competitive. Okay, so I understand that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, how does that I'm affect sure you? Sorry, go on. I'm sure they'll probably try and work it in in the future. But um, yeah, at the moment, it's just not not going to work, really. Yeah. And I guess also the other factor is cost, isn't it? I know a lot of people were a little bit dubious when this was talked about, and it was actually BSB in 2021 um, that actually already adopted these rules, and they, they had a full season running with the Triumphs. Uh, I know Kyle Smith, Brandon Pash were on the Triumphs. Um, there were a couple of guys. I, I don't think anybody did ride the V-Twin. Maybe somebody did at the end of the year but they spent a whole year using it as a, as a test really for the world stage. And I think they seem to get it right. I mean, in BSB, certainly, I don't know if you follow BSB, but you know, the triumphs were on the podium. Yamaha were winning. Kawasaki was winning. The balance seemed to be right. And I was lucky to be at Jerez at the beginning of the year, um, filming with Honda with, uh, with Ika Lakwona and Xavi Vierke. And there was a number of, of bikes there, Nikki Tuli on the MV Augusta, um, Jean Anjou on the Kawasaki and they were split by less than half a tenth of a second so whatever they've done with the algorithm and the rules on paper certainly in testing seem to be pretty pretty good but there's a massive cost implication there right you're going to buy a Ducati Panigale off the showroom it's a little bit more expensive than buying an R6 yeah I'd say to get one of them up to race spec would probably be almost double the Yamaha especially here locally um but if they can make it work, it'd be, I think it'd bring a lot more attention back to the class because I know like as competitors, we like just racing each other, but I know the people that watch do like having that brand to go for. So um, 
would degrade with all our sixes. It is a bit hard to get that excitement going. So um, if they can make it work, it will hopefully be good for the sport. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I really liked, we actually um, we had Senna Aegis on the, the podcast a few weeks back, uh, and he was talking, obviously, and he's back in, in Europe now, but he was running one of the latest um, spec CBR 600s. And, you know, for someone that's been involved in, in racing for a while, you know, I miss seeing Honda in World Supersport. You know, they're such an iconic brand, such a, you know, everybody knows the history of Honda in Superbike and, and Supersport particularly, right? Um so for me, it's a bit strange that even in the new rules, we don't see the Honda. We do see it in Asia, yeah. right? I mean, they're running in the Asia Road Race Championship and they're at the front. Senna came back and at Phillip Island, I think he got the double win, didn't he? Um, on the yeah, on the yeah. new bike, yeah. you know? So the bike is quick. But again, as you said, it's it's in a stock trim, right? It's not, the, I don't know how much you could do to the bike to bring it to the level of, of, of next generation. I honestly don't know. Yeah, exactly. I think they'll have to work in some some rules. I mean, the at the end of it, the engine work isn't that that expensive. It's probably maintaining that level of performance. But um, I think they can make it work. They just got to be smart about how they do it. Yeah, for sure. I guess the other thing as well to talk about, which we've never talked about on the podcast, is the the cost of racing in in Australia. Uh, everybody talks about how expensive racing is, and, and certainly in the UK, even at grassroots level, if you want your kid to go and race on a Vale in a mini bike championship, you're still going to be 10, 15, 20 grand out of pocket, right? It's expensive. But, you know, one thing that I think I underestimated the first time I flew to, to Australia seven, eight years ago, whatever it was, was just how bloody big the country is. You know, I remember getting on that transit flight in Doha, jumping on the plane, thinking, yeah, this is great. We'll be there in a little while, falling asleep, waking up, looking out of the window and seeing land. And I'm like, oh, we must be ready to land. This is great looked at the map and there was still like six hours to go. And I'm like, it's not possible. Like how big is this country? And I guess that's something else for you guys, you know, trying to find sponsors, you know, as you say, you, you guys are on an Island on the other side of the world. It's not like you can literally just, Oh, we'll go and do a race in the middle East or we'll go to Dubai or we'll go to race in La Salle in Doha. That's still a 15, 16 hour journey on a plane. So when you guys are going, like you said, Tasmania, from where you guys are in Sydney, driving there in, in the, the race truck. I mean, that's a lot of hours. Yeah, it's definitely a, a thing that makes it tough. I mean, we have uh, seven rounds and they are in, I think, four different states. And uh, going interstate here is like going into a different country in Europe. Um, so for like the privateer guys, it is quite hard. Like we travel... I mean, from Sydney, I'm probably luckily in the best spot for it because we run up the probably the east coast of Australia. Um, so when I go to Melbourne, like to Phillip Island, it's a 10-hour drive. And then to the new track in Tail and Bend in South Australia, it's 13 hours. And then up to Queensland, it's another 10 hours. And then Tasmania, yeah, that'll be like 10 hours down to Melbourne and then an overnight ferry ride and then the drive over in Tasmania. So, yeah, it's definitely... Definitely, like it adds up. <laughs> yeah, no, for but, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy, and especially with fuel prices now as well, right? I mean, uh, it's it's unbelievable. It's it's incredible stuff. But it's funny you mentioned Tail and Bend. As I said, I've been lucky enough uh, to be. I've been to Phillip Island many, many times, and and I did actually get flown out to to Tail and Bend, um, or the Bend as, as it's known, uh, which is near Adelaide, a couple of years ago, twenty nineteen. Um, that's a fantastic setup, isn't it? I mean, I know. Again, we talk about different circuits. We've got some iconic tracks here in the UK, like Cadwell Park, the one with the jump. You know, you'll, you'll be familiar with it. And then we have 
obviously the, the world championship spec tracks like Donington, like Silverstone, etc. Um, obviously, you guys have got Phillip Island. As I said, that's a, a bucket list track. I mean, it's it's an amazing place. But you've also got some new facilities as well, haven't you? I mean, the, the bend. I mean, I think do they have? I think there's three or four different configurations. And and I think I did speak to the owner of the track there, and he was saying that they have. Is it like a nine kilometer endurance yeah, yeah. track? And and I did like a lap. They, they put me in the safety car, and we actually drove the full the full track. And I'm like, this is insane! Like banked walls, yeah. and like it, it's. I mean, it's a hell of a hell of a complex. Yeah, it is. It's definitely. Probably, well, I haven't been overseas to see the world-level tracks, but it's definitely the best facility we have here. Um, just in terms of the like the pit setup and the track, and they've even built in like um, adulation, so there's blind corners and all sorts of things, and it's a really fun circuit to go around as well. Yeah, and I know that they were talking um, when we were there. They were on about building a runway at the track and actually having it so that like planes could actually ferry things in. So I guess if it ever has a Grand Prix in the future. Um, that would be awesome. Just literally, just fly directly into the track, um, yeah. which would be pretty cool. Stone is like building a heap of hotels there and all that sort of stuff as well. So he's, he definitely wants all that action going out that way. Um, but yeah, it'll be good to see if they do get some more stuff out in Australia. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What do you make of the um, of the season so far? Then, obviously, as I said, we're building up to the start of World Superbike. ASBK has got underway. Um, you know, so we, we talk about that in a minute. How you got on round one, but um, you know, MotoGP has started, um, and literally, as we've been recording this, I've just got an email that's come through that says Mark Marquez is going to miss the Argentinian Grand Prix. He's not going to race in Argentina. Um, I was in Indonesia and I'm sure you've seen, everybody listening probably saw that huge crash, which was probably his fifth or sixth crash of the weekend. I mean, the, the guy is, we all know how fantastic Mark Marquez is, but the, the, your your thoughts on him not being allowed to, for me, it was the right call. I mean, you can't fly yeah. to the moon and land the way that he landed for the fifth time and still let the guy ride. I mean, like at some point, someone's got to say enough is enough. Like we don't want to see anybody get hurt, you know? And I mean, he's, but he's on the limit the whole time, isn't he? Yeah. He's amazing to watch, but yeah, it just happens that a little bit too often. He gets it a little bit wrong, but um, yeah, that was amazing just to see him be able to walk away from that. That was one of the biggest crashes I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I was as I was was working in a in, in a suite there, and it, it's probably the closest I've come to dropping the f bomb during a live commentary because I was like, "Holy shit!" Like this guy just launched himself to the moon. Like he went so high, and but as if there was no warning, right? I mean, you you've ridden, you've had crashes, yeah. but you you at least get some kind of warning, or there's a there's, there's at least a split second that you can try to react. He had no chance that the way that went. I mean, it was such a bizarre crash. Yeah, it was it was it was a strange one. But I mean, he's not going to ride now in Argentina. Do you think this is? I don't want to say it because I know I'm going to get attacked on Twitter for saying it. But do you think this is potentially the beginning of the end? I mean, it's not what I want. I would love to see Marquez continue, but you know, he's he's come back from the shoulder injury. Then he's got the problem with the vision. You know, you need to be able to see where you're going to race a motorcycle, even at club level. So at the level that they're at, if your vision is just a minute millimeter out, you, you're screwed, right? I mean, how, how can you race at that level? Yeah, well, he somehow he made it back after the arm issue. So I guess it depends how long he's out for and how long it puts him back. Because, I mean, coming back after a whole year off, I think that's phenomenal that he even come back to win one race. So um, 
Yeah, if and, he, and in, yeah, you're right. And in Qatar, I mean, he wasn't a million miles from the podium, was he? I mean, in Qatar, he was strong. I mean, and Polisberg, the Honda was strong, but we went to Indonesia, it wasn't strong. And I just wonder whether it's just a case of overriding, you know, not prepared to finish eighth. You know, if the best you can do is eighth, take the eighth. Like, he wants to win. He wants to prove that the Honda is, is still competitive and that he's still competitive. But as you said, one time too many... You know, we don't want to see him get hurt, you know, not not, not for a career ending crash. You know, nobody wants to see that. Definitely, yeah. He's, he's never been one to want to lose, though. So, like, I mean, but he's made it work up until now. So he's sort of only got to learn from it now, I guess. So we'll have to wait and see if he can back it back that little bit. He did at the start and he worked his way back up. That's but true. I guess now he had that confidence to start pushing it again. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe when he when he decides, I was going to say maybe maybe I'm just being a bit too optimistic. I, I said the same with Rossi. Like Rossi's retiring. No, bring him to World Superbike. It'll be all right. Yeah. But I guess I guess when these guys decide that the time is over, they're going to retire, aren't they? I mean, uh, and I'm not suggesting for one second that Marquez is going to retire. But you know, I think when his time is done in 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 MotoGP, you know, would there be a motivation for him to go to another series? You know, we've seen it in the past with some riders that have. Max Biaggi went to, to, to Superbike and won the World Championship. Troy Corsa won the World Championship. You know, we, we've seen riders do that, right? But I think now nowadays, it's it, the, the sport's evolved so much, hasn't it? I mean, like we're even seeing now the likes of Ika Lacona, who I mentioned earlier. The guy is just in his early 20s, 20, 21 years old. And they're already saying that his time in MotoGP is over. I mean, that for me is crazy. I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like the guy rode for KTM. He had a couple of good results. He's a young kid. I mean, he's, he's similar age to you, right? I mean, he's just a young yeah. kid, but they're already saying, yeah, there's no space for you in MotoGP. But he's he's a rider that this could work in as a, his, coming to Superbike could work in his advantage, right? Same with Xavi Vierke or Philip Ertl, some of these guys that have kind of gone left field. Coming back into World Superbike for a factory team, especially with the way that Superbike is now, how competitive it is, all the manufacturers are competitive. You know, a couple of good results. He's got a two-year contract. He's still only going to be 23. He could go back to MotoGP at 23. It's not like, it's you know, he's doing it the opposite way around, if that makes sense. He's not getting to 28, 29, and then coming to Superbike where people are going to go, yeah, like with Jonathan Ray, you know, when people say he's too old now. You know, he's not going to get the chance to go to MotoGP. I would have loved to have seen Jonathan Ray on a competitive bike, but the chance never came for him because people at the time weren't looking at Superbike. I think for some of these younger riders, maybe now the fact that Superbike is again, is again popular and it's competitive could be, could be an option. Yeah, I think definitely too with the fact that no one's really quite been able to make that Honda work. So I think if he gets some good results, he'll open some eyes and possibly get back into the one of the Hondas on the MotoGP grid. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, we've been chatting for, for 21 minutes. We've got a couple of minutes left. I've got to ask you, obviously, round one um, of your championship. How, how did you get on? Yeah, well, unfortunately, because we made that change to the slicks, um, we've been having a bit of supply chain issues. So um, we did a few bit of testing on some tyres and they worked really well. And then we got to the round and those tyres weren't available. So I did struggle a lot in like practice and qualifying and that. So I was a bit further back on the grid than I would have liked to have been. And then in the race, we finally got a hold of some of the good tyres that we tested on. And um, yeah, I got into the race. I felt really comfortable and had some good pace. And then unfortunately, I just 
got in a bit hot behind another rider and clipped the back of him and went down and unfortunately went out with the injury. So it kind of put my start to the year on the back foot. And um, with the short series, it complicates things a lot. But now we're pretty much just trying to go out and get the best positions we can and finish off the year strong and um, pretty much make our mind out what we want to do the following year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you've got the right attitude at the end of the day. You know, mistakes can happen, right? It's That's racing. You've got to just refocus and not dwell on it. You know, I speak to so many riders, some, some of the riders that I work with, and the mental side of this sport is so important. Uh, and I think you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. There's no point dwelling on it. There's no point starting to think about championships. You've got to just come back, ride the races, give it your best, get the points and and what will be, will be, you know, um, I think, I think that's a hundred percent, hundred percent spot on. Interestingly, you mentioned about the, the future we're seeing as I'm, I'm involved with Moto America as well, a number of Aussies making their way across to, um, to Moto America. Uh, I caught up with Luke Power uh, at Daytona, uh, another guy that you've raced with. Um, and I've been told that, that um, Joey, Joey Maranello is also on his way to this. I'm sure, I'm not even sure America's ready for Maranello, to be fair. Uh, let, let's be clear. Um, but, but I mean, it, it's great to see riders from, from, from Australia. I mean, a lot of them come to BSB. Um, I know Ben Curry is now moving up into, into World Supersport after spending a lot of time in, in BSB. But there are other options around now. You know, Moto America is also now a championship that has been evolving a lot. What's what's your plan for the future then? Because as I say, you still, I mean, how old are you? You're still, what, just 20, 21? No, 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 I'm 24 now. Oh, well, so I'm getting, you're, you're, an old, you're an old man yeah. now, mate. That's it, you passed it, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, so it has been tough. And it's been the last two years sort of going, sort of not happening, has struggled a lot. And like this year would have been pretty important. But hopefully we can still get out there and show what we're capable of at least and um, hopefully open up some things. But also growing up, like I went into road racing quite late. Um, I grew up riding motorbikes, like dirt bikes, and we never really had, I'd say, the money or the backing to go into road racing. And then a great company, Stay Upright Rider Training. It's this, the biggest training company here in Australia. They, um, out of nowhere really, came up to me and said, we want you to give this a go and we'll help you. And that's pretty much how I only started when I was 18. Um, so it all happened pretty quickly and we started getting some good results and that 2020 year would have been a really good year, I think, um, showing that I had good pace at the World Superbike rounds and then opening up a few other things. But as far as the future goes, I'm also, my parents sort of made me go follow the educational side of things as well. Smart parents. Smart parents. (laughs) I'm actually also still a uni student. Um, so I've got a year and a half left of that. And then once I get that out of the way, then if there's anything there for offer, then I definitely pursue it for sure. No, I think, and also that's, as I say, I I work with some riders and manage some riders as well. And and we always emphasize, even with some of the youngsters that are 17, 18, you've got to have a backup plan. You know, everybody wants the dream of making it to a world championship or, you know, not even being in a world championship, but just being able to make a living from racing motorcycles. But this is a cruel sport, you know, and not everybody's going to get the lucky break. You've got to have something in the back in case it doesn't work out, you know, and that's not being negative. It's not saying that it won't work out, but, you know, if you you put all your eggs into one basket and something does go wrong or that there's no opportunity, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? (laughs) Right. So, um, what is it you're doing at uni then? I'm an engineering student, so civil engineer. 
Okay. Okay. So again, again, I've we've seen this as well. If if the racing doesn't work out, there's still plenty of opportunities in in motorsport, right? You know that you can still yeah, be yeah. involved in in certain ways. I mean, I'm sure you, that's yeah, not yeah. what you want to hear on. And and again, for yeah. anyone that says, I'm not saying on a podcast that Jack Passfield has to stop racing or that he has to work. <laughs> not saying that at all. I would love to see him continue. But no, it's it's true though. I think I think it's so good that you've got something to fall to fall back on. Um, yeah. Well, Tom, like I mean. It's sort of something you have to do. You have to get to Europe quite early to really pursue it, like, and get in front of a lot of people. Because it is sort of hard because Australia still has a lot of distance from the European series and even America. It's sort of still its own little thing that doesn't get probably as much insight as it should. But, um, yeah, it's just it's scary putting all that in at such a young age and unfortunately it's just not the option that i had to pursue i guess yeah it comes back to what we said isn't it it's, i mean i think you know back in the day when i remember being a kid going with my dad to watch the the grand prix you know back then the fast riders got given the brakes right that's just how it was back then in all forms of motorsport but you know there's always been money involved but now i think it is you see riders and again i'm not naming anyone i'm not saying that anyone shouldn't be on the grid if they've got the money but it's so expensive now to go racing motorcycles that you need to take a budget, you know? I mean, some of the money that is getting paid, even in Supersport 300 now, even in BSB, I look at the prices that, that these kids are paying and I'm like, geez, like these families are, are remortgaging their houses for these kids. Like, what are they doing? Like, if that was me, I, would, I wouldn't race. Like, you, you just can't put yourself into a 100, yeah. 200 grand's worth of debt at 18 years old. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I that, I don't know. I mean, I guess in in an ideal world, I would win the lottery and run my own team, and everybody could ride for free, <laughs> and that that would be great, right? It would be. Yeah. Let's just go travel the world, and, and I would just, do you know, actually, if I if I won that much money, I just run my own series. I'd be like, right, come on, boys, yeah. girls, do you want to race? let's go. Which which track do we want to race? And just 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 do like a bucket <laughs> list champion. Actually, that's a really yeah. good idea. I might start that doing the lottery cool. now. Just literally, yeah. you know, pick tw- twenty riders. Right, you're all going to come and ride for free. And each of you pick a track and it's going to be a 20 round bucket list championship. That would be so cool. That would be awesome. See, now you see, this is the thing I've, I've got to go after I finish this podcast and, and, and go on to a call with some colleagues from the world championship. And I'm not even going to be able to think super bikes now. My little brain is going to be going off in a, in a different direction. Um, Jack, just finally, how can people follow you? Obviously, I know ASBK is on the other side of the world. So certainly for us in Europe, it does mean staying up through the night or, or catching up with things on, on catch up TV. But it, I'm, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people listening that will want to follow you for the rest of the season and, and obviously your future. So how can they how can they follow you on social media? So I'm on Instagram, just Passfield42. And then on Facebook, i got a Facebook page that's Jack Passfield, hashtag 42. Okay. And they're my main two sources of media. Cool. Excellent stuff. Well, I will make sure that uh, we get that plugged out and people are following you and keep in touch over over this season. And as I said, hopefully, um, or it's not been confirmed yet, but it is provisional that we will be coming back to to Australia for World Superbikes. Um, I know that Formula One is coming out in in the next couple of weeks. So let's hope that that goes without any hitches, that there's no problems. Because I think if if Formula One happens and everything runs smoothly, that's going to give us a massive boost for for MotoGP and for World Superbike at the end of the year. Um, Yeah, that's the I think go down and watch that. So. That'll be cool, actually. Yeah, it's a long time since I've been to um, to a Formula One race, and and, and Albert Park is is always a, a cool um, 
uh, a cool venue. I always always get the bicycle. I, I do normally one or two days in Melbourne before driving up to um, to Phillip Island, get the bicycle and, and do my couple of cycle laps. You know, not not as fast as as Danny Rick or as uh, as <laughs> Hamilton, but yeah, I mean it's it's impressive. I and mean, I'm waffling on again, but it is impressive how they build up the circuit there, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, but yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully they put a class on for us at the World Superbikes too, if you make it, so we can get down there and um have a ride with you guys again. Yeah, that would be good, and that's something that, that I, me personally, I've loved loved doing that. I know the first couple of years that we did the flyaway races, we we literally just stuck not just in, in Australia, but even when we went to Laguna Seca in America, it was kind of we just focused on the World Championship races, and then I think as fans have become more involved and, and and the show that we do on the paddock show become more involved it was it made sense to try and open it up and and and, and make a big show uh, and i think as i say 2019 we did and then obviously 2020 we kind of had i think we must have had pretty much half of the asbk guys on the paddock show you know it was like it was a great great event and but i think it's also nice for the fans as well to also be able to put faces um to the voices and you know when they're watching you on tv they don't know who you are when you've got the helmet on and I think it was it was good and it was a lot of fun. It was a, it, for me it was great because I was getting to meet new sure. new riders and and, and and different personalities. It was it was good. So, yeah, I mean, definitely from my side, I can one hundred percent say that if if we're there and ASBK is involved, we will include you guys. Um, it makes sense. I mean, I get paid by the word, right? So the more people I talk to, the more <laughs> I get paid. So, <laughs> so for sure. Anyway. Um, it is uh, yes. Yeah, it's sort of eleven o'clock here in the UK. It must be getting on quite late there now in in in, uh, in Sydney. So thank you for joining us, buddy. Um, have a good rest of the season. Keep in touch, and fingers crossed, I will see you in November. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you calling in for a chat, and hopefully I see you then. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today. Skins. Ride hard, play safe. The second half of the show, we're going to move away from two wheels and we are, as promised uh, on Twitter over the last couple of months, turn our attention back to four wheels. And I'm delighted to welcome uh, fellow Brit Ayrton Simmons to the show. Ayrton, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's really good. Yeah, no, I know we've we've tried to, to make it work over the last couple of uh, couple of weeks, and then I was in Daytona and Indonesia, and then you were obviously at the first race of the, the season. So we've managed to to get some time in, and you're on the show, which is uh, which is great. Um, Lots to talk about. I know we've got a few questions that have come in um, from some of our car car fans uh, on the show, wanting to know obviously how you got into racing. Um, some younger drivers wanting to know any advice that that you might have. But I'm quite interested to sort of turn turn the clock back if we can. Then, and, and so as far as I understand, you started driving um, when you were just five. And we've talked yeah. on the show quite a lot about young riders on motorcycles starting at maybe you know two or three years old on mini motos. The same is said in in car racing isn't it you've got to start young yeah I mean, you don't have to but it's always a benefit if you do um yeah it's, it's the same as anything same with most high performance uh sports you know the earlier you start the more natural it will become to you 
but um yeah i started i started kiting at five and racing at seven so wow wow and, and you're obviously you're 21 now right so i mean you're 20, 21 soon a few days <laughs> a few days yeah of course yeah we've been out for a long way so yeah you're still only 20 so you've, you've basically had a 13 year career i mean you've actually been racing for nearly two-thirds of your life or you know three quarters of your life that's crazy yeah it's mad when, when you think about it that way i mean obviously where i'm at right now you don't really look back at it and think wow i've been you know i've had a 13 year career but um yeah it's crazy we've come a long way that's for sure yeah, for sure. And again, just for, for some of our listeners, especially in the in the, the biking world that won't be be familiar with uh, with yourself, you've obviously worked your way through from British Formula 4, you've done Formula 3 racing in Asia, and you've done the Euro Formula Series, which we've talked about on the show in the past. And now you're racing a support series to Formula 1. So, I mean, you talk about having a pretty you know, good career. I mean, you're almost there. I mean, the pinnacle of, of motorsport is Formula One, especially if you're a single-seater driver. I mean, one or two more steps and we could see you in F1, mate. Yeah, hopefully. That's the goal, for sure. Um, but, yeah, as you say, you seem so close to your dream, you know, being supporting the Formula One um, and obviously the F2 as well. Is, it's crazy that, you you know, we, we don't have a lot of time, unfortunately, to, to watch the F1 in between sessions and races, but um yeah we did a bit more in Bahrain because they were you know they were on a on a night schedule compared to us we was in a morning schedule so um yeah it's absolutely mega and yeah as you say like you walk into the paddock you, you walk past the F1 teams and you're like well look, I'm really this close uh just a few more steps and it's good as uh it's motivating for sure yeah obviously I've spent as most of the listeners when I've spent most of my life in the two-wheel paddock I've been to Macau for the Macau Grand Prix and I've been to world touring cars with Andy Prio and stuff but I think the last time I went to an F1 race um was probably when probably when Mansell god how long ago is that then I was still at school I went on a school trip it was when Mansell won and he had Ayrton Senna on the car at Silverstone I mean god I can't remember the year off the top of what we're going back a long time a long yeah. time um, I know what Grand Prix that was. Though. Yeah, I mean, it was a great, a great experience to be there. I mean, I'd love to to get back in there. But from your perspective, obviously, you're a driver. You're not seeing it necessarily from a fan's perspective. Although I'm sure, obviously, you are a fan of, of racing. What's it actually like? I mean, you know, we talked a, a lot on the show. You know, you go from club racing on a motorcycle into British Championship racing, then you get into the Grand Prix or World Superbikes. And there is a notable, notable difference, right? Whether you're a, a journalist, whether you're a, a presenter, whether you're a driver, whether you're a sponsor it changes and gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you go through. And I assume that's the same in, in, in car racing. But I mean, F1, we see when you see sort of Ted, Ted's paddock walk and things on Sky Sports News. I mean, these hospitality suites are bigger than, than some people's houses. I mean, it's a, it, it's a proper proper circus, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, and as you say, it's big steps up every time you sort of move up a level. Um, so, yeah, again, it's um, a lot of money involved, as you say. That's probably... The downside to it uh, when you're getting up to formula one it's just getting the money together and getting the sponsors to you know um to join your career in a way that's the tricky part um so yeah that's where you see a lot of talent thrown away um purely because they haven't got the money to to carry on moving upwards so yeah and obviously you you've clearly been very fortunate you've got people that are supporting you but as you mm. said and i'm interested as well to understand from your your point of view social media making sure you're doing the right thing at the right time that's important in any sport but you know i know i know how much it costs in motorcycle racing it must be 10 times that in car racing um you know how how motivating or demotivating is that you know every rung of the ladder that you want to climb you got to bring 
another X hundred thousand. I mean, we're not yeah. we're not talking fifty or sixty pound, are we? I mean, this is this is you got to find big money. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah, as you say, it's uh, in a way it sort of brings you down a little bit because you you could have come you know from the back of a very good season like like I just did finish runner up in British F3, and and I think the way the motorbikes are structured is is a lot better because if you have a good result then you get sort of. I don't know, um, fed up to the to the high leagues. I think a bit more based on performance, whilst it's it's got nothing to do with performance um, in our world. Obviously, there is a little bit, but it's mainly about if you can get the money to to move up. Um, that's that's purely based. So yes, yeah, it's, it's frustrating because you you know come from the back of a very good season with four race wins, three poles, uh, lap records, and you're thinking right, okay, this should be good and. It's, there's, there's nothing like that you know teams still going look I can't run a race team without money you know I'm going to yeah, lose yeah. 600 to a million in, in running you for free it's just never going to happen um, yeah, yeah so it's, that's, that's the downside yeah it's funny what you're saying and obviously the pandemic hit and that obviously curtailed everybody's racing but I was looking back through some results before we started recording and you know Last year, 2021, first round of the championship, you're on pole position for both races, you're winning races. It's I don't want to say it's easier, but there's a bit more parity, isn't there, in, in the lesser formulas? You know, it is a little bit down to driver ability. But then, as you said, once you get into FIA Formula 3, then to move into Formula 2, I mean, we've all seen in Formula 1, I've been critical. I mean, I, I love all kinds of motorsport, but for me, it's kind of it become a bit fabricated. It was a bit manufactured, the racing, because it's all to do with this DRS and, you know, things are winning mm. the pit stops. This year, it seems to be a little bit different. I mean, I don't know how that translates down into Formula 2 and Formula 3 where you are, but certainly the first two Grand Prix, they the cars seem now to be able to follow each other again. There seems to be a bit of a race. Okay, there's still some tactics involved, but there's tactics in racing at any level, right? But how has it kind of affected sort of Formula 3, obviously, with rule changes? Because, again, I, I don't fully understand it. And you've got the sprint race and the reverse race, and then you get a point mm-hmm. for pole, or you don't get a point for pole. It's all... <laughs> I don't know. I think sometimes it just needs to be simplified. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Especially for the person watching on the TV, you know? For, for us that are inside, and, and we, we understand it, and we live and breathe it, it's kind of a little bit easier to understand. But, you know, even some of the crazy things they've done in World Superbike in the past, reversing the grid and the top nine get points. And then, but if you if you finish 10th, then you're starting 15th on the grid for race two. It's like, that's just too confusing for Joe public <laughs> watching. Like, that's yeah. too difficult. Like, just make it yeah. simple, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, see what, I see what you mean. I think, obviously, for me, it's a lot easier to understand because uh, since F4, there's always been like a reverse grid system. Uh, it's purely just to fit more than one racing really um so yeah i mean i've had i've had grids lined up depending on your i think uh british f3 two years ago was um your qualifying position for the third race was your second best uh lap in qualifying so you'd have a, a qualifying with your best laps and then there'll be basically like a second qualifying sheet with people's second best lap so in a way it's good because it means you can't just put that one lap in you have to put two very good laps in but yeah, as you say, it's, it's a bit confusing for people that just want to switch on the TV and, and have a watch. So, yeah. Um, and in terms of Fallen 1, yeah, it's, it's in a great place. It's it's great to see that the changes are actually working. I think it would have been a bit of a disaster to have such a big, dramatic rule change and not seeing much of a difference. So that's good in a way. But it doesn't really affect us, to be honest. Um, our cars have stayed the same since uh, twenty. 2018 I believe 29 2018 I think the car came out so for us it doesn't really change that much and same for F2 you know they, they've had the same cars but 
because we have less downfalls in F1, we don't really struggle at such a high level, such a high degree that, that the F1 uh, guys do. So, yeah, no, I guess, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Obviously, you said that your your, your dream is to get to uh, to get into in, into Formula One. Is there a backup plan if that doesn't work? Oh, that sounds awful, doesn't it? You're on a podcast and we're meant to be promoting you. I'm talking about if it doesn't work. But, you know, I mean, we, we, we've spoken to, to, to drivers, yeah. even in NASCAR. You know, I've spoken to Josh Balicki in, in NASCAR and we, we had a long chat with him about, you know, racing in the States, racing on ovals uh, and this kind of thing. And we've we've seen drivers move into, into IndyCar. Look at Roman Grosjean, for example. He's now making a great career in IndyCar. So, I mean, I guess there are always... B plans and, and B routes. Is that something you've thought about? I mean, I guess not too much because obviously the dream and the focus has to be on F1, but is there something in the back of your mind? Well, actually, if that didn't work, it would be world endurance or we'd go into this way of, of right, like touring cars or, or do you want to stay single seater open wheel racing? Um, obviously, I'm the most passionate about um, single seaters. So, yeah, um, there's obviously other options you think about, but unless you're in a position where you have to take that that B route, then you sort of dig a bit deeper into what you could um what you could divert from or two. Um yeah, I mean I do like the um the LMP cars. I think they're they're brilliant. I've driven an LMP three car before and you know they're very good, very good uh piece of equipment. So um yeah, I mean that could be an option. But as you say, luckily in in I'm not I'm not so sure if it's the same in bikes, but in, in motorsport, there's quite a few um, like little worlds, let's say, within motorsport. So you've got the GT, the touring cars, the LMPs, uh, and within them worlds, there's a few levels. So there's always options. That's a good thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't really, I haven't thought too deep into it. Obviously, there's been a lot of effort and commitment to, to single seaters so far. So um, yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to keep you've got to keep pushing on, haven't you? Um, I guess form, Formula E could always beckon. What's your thoughts on on the electric racing? And I've got my opinion. I mean, we have we have electric bike racing now as well. And I've got to say, it is the it's the most craziest, surreal race that I've ever seen. I mean, the racing is actually not bad. The electric motorcycle racing is not so bad, but you can't mm. hear a thing, and it just seems weird to me. You know, being trackside and and watching a race or commentating on it, you don't even know the race has started. It's kind of like it's just like. Whew, it's like, oh, yeah. okay, there's a race going on. It's a bit weird, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And I've seen some of the Formula E races. I mean, again, it's just a little bit gimmicky for me, you know, the fan boost. And I don't know, I understand what they're trying to do. And, and I think kudos for what they've tried to do in Formula E by, you know, trying to interact with the fans more. But for me, it then just becomes a bit of a, a popularity contest. And it's not, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't follow it religiously enough, you know? But I mean, yeah. have you ever had I mean, a chance to drive a, a, an electric car? Have you, have you done that? No, not not an electric racing car, no. Um, but as you say, it's just I don't know, it's not really the same, is it? Without the noise, I mean, as you say, the, the cars are good, they're quick, mm. they're only going to get better um, yeah. as 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 the years go on. Um, and unfortunately, I think the the way the direction that motorsport and motorcycles are going to go will eventually be mostly electric, anyways. But um, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't really sound the same. I, uh, as you say, I don't, I don't really keep an eye on Formula E a lot. I'm not that, you know, I don't follow it religiously, same as you, but I keep an eye on on, on the results. So. Yeah, no, exactly. I've got to talk to you a little bit. Obviously, you're growing up, you lived in Spain um, as well, which I didn't know until I did start doing a bit of research on you a couple of months ago. And I was like, okay, obviously being just a youngster, five, six years old, starting in kart racing, obviously a lot of the championships in motorcycles are run by Spanish companies. Was there ever a, 
ever a moment in your young career where you thought, actually, maybe I'm going to swap the four wheels for two? And it's something we've never talked to car drivers about this, but given that you are still relatively young, you're just 20 years old, you know, if you wanted to make a change to two wheels, you still could, I guess. Um, you know, yeah. is, is it something you ever thought about? Um, not really. Uh, yeah, I've had a little thought, but, you know, I'm mainly passionate about cars. To be honest, uh, um, I put my hands up to and a lot of respect to the mo motorcycle riders because what they do is just absolutely crazy. I think I think what we do is is pretty risky, but what they do is just especially world superbikes is is unbelievable. So um yeah, it's a big commitment, uh, a lot of risk, um, which I'm not prepared to take take quite yet so <laughs> no i, I admire that i think yeah i think it's, it's it's interesting just to see people you know because sometimes we talk to car or bike um races like valentino for example who's gone mm. and made that switch um and i think in the past yeah I'm, I'm sure in the past michael schumacher for example he did actually go and race the german superbike championship and got some pretty good results but i don't know i just feel that the transition from bike to car is probably easier than, than yeah than car yeah. to bike just the yeah. feeling, you know, and that's not taking anything away. I mean, I know Lewis Hamilton has driven or ridden um, MotoGP machines and got his knee down and stuff, but I just think it's a little bit different. You know, there's a lot yeah. more technology within car racing, right? With all these different buttons. I mean, it looks like a PlayStation thing, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to press. Um, but I, th I think it's a different, it's also a different mentality as well, isn't it? I mean, like, like you said, it's not necessarily that you guys aren't as brave because you know, we see some of the horrific crashes that, that, that happen. And, and thankfully, with the safety now in, in car racing, most of the time people walk away, which is great. But it's it's just a different mentality. And I think I think you have got to be a little bit crazy to ride a motorbike. I do. Yeah, I genuinely do. Sure. I mean, at those 200 miles an hour and you're putting your knee on the floor at 118, it's like, yeah, we'll be OK. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. Especially, I don't know if you've ever seen the um, the road racing stuff that they do, like on the Isle of Man TT where yeah. they race around there, 38-mile yeah. track, 280 corners, whatever it is. Honestly. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that, that is literally take your brain out and just, I don't know, hope for the best. But, I mean, as you say, kudos to them, because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do the TT. I not not, no not in a million years. I could I could see myself learning to ride a bike and and trying out, you know, a, a, like a small circuit and a small bike. Because I, I do want to, I'm, I'm curious of, of the feeling. You never know, I might do that and then really enjoy it and want to, but I mean, I don't think I'd ever do the Isle of Man or anything like that. It's just, no, it's no. absolutely bizarre. But again, great respect, you know. Um, yeah, it's funny. I used to go to the Isle of Man TT as a kid with my dad on, on the back. You know, my dad was, my dad did off-road racing. So I kind of grew up with with bikes. And, and I always remember the first year going to the TT, just like a kid, you know, with the, the, the headlights and the eyes. I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. I remember, I forget where it was on the circuit. It was somewhere um, near Ramsey, one of the little villages. And we sat in this lady's front garden, which was bizarre to me at seven or eight years old. Like normally you go to a racetrack and you're sitting in a grandstand at Silverstone or Donington, yeah. you know, and here we are in this, this bloody front garden. And this little elderly lady, she must've been about 70, bless her. And she came out and she had like cups of tea and she was bringing us like oh, little scones. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then the bikes went by and I'm like, whoa, like this is like, just unbelievable to me. I mean, that's kind of what Bizarre. got me hooked. Just like, this is insane. Like it's, it was just something about it, I guess. Um, but then I've always been involved in, in cars as well. I, I do like um, sort of karting as well. You know, I, I quite often um, go to like Bookmore Park and things like that. And 
I do quite like that. That's what you know. That's what we should do. I've been talking about this for a couple of years. There's quite a few bikers that keep saying, um, "Let's do something for charity." And you know, I do a lot of work with with Two Wheels for Life, uh, one of the charities. And we keep saying, "Let's organise an event. Let's organise an event." Maybe we should get get some drivers in as well. Maybe we should get you involved and get a couple of the bikers involved and a couple of journalists and get you know ten or twelve of us and just hire a track and you know an all comers race film it make some money for, for charity and have a damn good laugh that'd be pretty damn cool yeah no it, I, it I, could stu- I could stuff you into turn one mate this would be great this would be no, awesome no, no, no. <laughs> i'll be starting behind i'll make sure of that <laughs> thing is if you no, started no. on the back of the grid you'd have a bit of an advantage because you were pretty handy in the cart weren't you you you, you, you were pretty yeah, good that was, that was a few years ago now i haven't uh, i haven't i haven't driven a proper go-kart since my last go-karting race i've driven a few rental carts that's yeah. about it. And I've been probably about five times since 2014, 2015. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've probably lost my skills because it's, it's actually quite a big transition from karting to, to a single seater. You know, you, you're basically starting from, not fully from scratch, but there's a lot of, of new stuff and different, you've got to drive completely different as you would to a go-kart. Really? Because so, um, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. I know you kind of like, you know, from you kind of already jumped jumped me what I was gonna say, but it's interesting that you said that because I would have assumed because we hear or we see a lot of single seat drivers coming from karting, right? You look at Leclerc, yeah. Verstappen, Hamilton, they're all talking about this rivalry that they had from from go-karting and they've made that transition. So again, naively, because I, I I've never really followed karting, but you know, I would have assumed you just moving from one into a single seat, it's relatively seamless. But no, you're it's not really. It's it's mainly purely based on the physics of of the car. So obviously, a go kart has you've got the brakes in the rear axle, so you rely a lot. If the car is is not so, it, you know, if you're struggling to turn the car, you could almost use it as a handbrake to get a bit of rotation. Um, obviously, because all the braking is just coming from the rear, nothing from the front. Um, yeah, there's lots of things like that, and you have to sort of adapt to it for sure. Um, if you lean on a brake in a high-speed corner with, especially with aero, an aero car, you know, the rear is going to be wobbly, it's going to feel horrible. So lots of things like that. And obviously understanding the aero platforms, obviously it's different for GT, but in, in Formula cars, you've got to really understand how the aero in each car works. Um, for example, the the floor in our cars actually produce a, a lot of the downforce that we have. Um, okay, and the, the floor is most efficient when it's at its lowest and when it's at its flattest. So, as you're driving along, when you brake, obviously the car shifts forward as you accelerate, goes backwards. So, if you're approaching a high speed corner, you've got to think right, I'm going to get the maximum amount of grip. You're trying to keep all platforms the same weight wise, so you're not trying to brake, turn, do nothing severe. You're trying to keep everything smooth so that the floor is actually as, as you know, as, as flat as possible. So, you actually get the most amount of downfalls and stuff like that is you learn as you go along, but it's, it's a lot, yeah, it's, it's a big difference. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. Like, I mean, I'm not that technical. I understand bits of techniques and, and physics and stuff, but I mean, that, that kind of thing does fascinate me because it's something that you would never think about, you know, me just yeah. watching the car. I would never think about that. I would just be like, well, why the hell aren't they overtaking? Like, why can't they follow each other? I don't get it. You know, cause you know, if you're tailgating, not that I do this for any policemen that are listening, you know, if you're tailgating someone down the M25 and they're not moving over and you're getting more and more infuriated, 
there's no problem, right? Because I'm right up, right up their arse, you know, getting a little bit yeah. of road rage, and then they'll eventually move out of the way, and there'll be a bit of a hand gesticulation or whatever. But in car racing, <laughs> it's kind of not like that. But not not that I'm a bad driver. Again, I'm just putting that out there, just you know, in case I'm going to start getting <laughs> attacked by any policeman that might have followed me around the M25. Um, obviously, you made your debut in uh, Formula Three last year in uh, in Russia in Sochi, uh, replacing uh, obviously one of the, the drivers that, that wasn't riding any uh, driving anymore. Uh, and then you stayed with that team. So you stayed with the Chirous team. That's a, a team that's got a lot of experience. So, I mean, for you, in terms of your first full season in, in FIA Formula 3, um, that's great because it's not a new team. They've got experience. They can help you. Um, how were you finding the season? As you said, Bahrain was the, the season opener uh, and some relatively good results there. I mean, it's not easy, Formula 3, is it? I mean, it's, it's a hard uh, class. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the step up from a British Formula 3 championship to... to uh, you know, a world Formula Three championship is is a big step. Um, you know, you're racing against the best teams, not just in England or in Europe, but in the world. You, you know, so it's a it's a yeah a big step up in the car as well. But um, yeah, no, I'm finding it good. It's um it's a learning process for me this year, so I've got to keep patient, um, keep my head down, and and just keep you know chipping away. I know the results will eventually come. Uh, so yeah. So um, we're a bit limited on testing, that's the thing. So, you know, the preparation, you'd say, compared to most of the other drivers hasn't been as much during the winter. So you're, you're, yeah, you're starting on the back foot straight from the off. So you've got to take advantage of when you're in the car, which most of the time for me is in a race weekend and try and, you know, learn as much as you can while I was being in that car. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's going okay, I think. The, the race in Bahrain was good. We had some pretty good results, made up a lot of places. Um, yeah, our main focus for now, I'd say, is probably our qualifying, trying to get the most out of qualifying. Um, but yeah, the, the Pirelli rubber is certainly um, one that takes some time to get a hang of, to get a, that one lap performance um, and also to manage in the race. But, you know, I'm, I'm confident in, in myself, in my ability. I'm confident in, in the team. And uh, the the morale and the attitude around the whole team is is really good and really positive. And um, yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of knowledge. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll get there eventually. But got to keep patient. That's that's the main thing. Yeah, I love that. I love that attitude. I speak to so many motorcycle riders, and you know, and I manage a couple of young riders, and, and said pretty much what you've just said to them. You're 17. You're 18. Just stay calm. It's okay. You don't have to be a world champion tomorrow. Just because, you know, Mark Marquez was a world champion eight times before he's 26. It's like, just yeah. keep your feet on the ground, stay calm, just tick all the boxes, learn. And when the pieces come together, you'll be all right. But it's it's hard when you're a 16, 17, 18-year-old, like yourself now, 20-year-old. You you want the results. I get that. I understand that. But I think the attitude you've got is spot on, 100%. 100%. Obviously, the championship is only just starting. You've got a race in Italy coming up. Um, do, do you guys get to race in Silverstone then? Is that on the calendar this year? Yeah, yeah, we've got. We never usually used to. Um, yeah, that's, I wasn't sure. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, well, you're going to be in the UK. But yeah, you're going to get a home Grand Prix then, basically. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be good. It's going to be good with, you know, it's, um, there's going to be a lot of people out there supporting me. Um, and yeah, I've raced in, in Silverstone lots of times and it's the first time it's actually going to be home race so i think i'd appreciate it a bit more after being racing all over all over the, the world so um yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it it's going to be a good laugh for, for people watching as well so um 
yeah, it's, uh, it should be good. Hopefully, the yeah. sun's out like last year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you you don't know me that well, but um, I am known as the king of the freeloaders. You know, I go to every race and normally get something for free, whether it's caps, bags, t-shirts, whatever. Um, I, I reckon I've got to say it now. I mean, we, we have seventeen thousand subscribers to the podcast. What about a cheeky pass to come along and support you trackside? Can we make that happen? Um, if it's Silverstone, it would be tough, but for everywhere, everywhere else, it could be arranged. Um, yeah, for Silverstone, as you can imagine, is we've got a lot of people, and obviously, I've got to um, prioritise my sponsors and investors. So, um, yeah, for that, we're we're fully we're, we're so basically, ladies, basically, ladies and gents, I just got a big fat off from uh, from Merton Simmons for Silverstone, but he's opened no, the door. You, you've witnessed it, ladies <laughs> and gents. He's opened the door for me to go to any other race that I want. So, right, let, let's get this sorted out. Which of the tracks are you going to? Which of the tracks have I never been to? This is great. Um, right, we've got, yes, yeah, so we've got Imola, we've got uh, Zandvoort in Netherlands. We've got, which is a good one. Um, where else? I should know, really. Uh, Austria. Um, I've never done. I've never done Austria, despite the fact that MotoGP. I've never done the Red Bull Ring. That could be a good one. It's a very. I've, I've been there before. The place is amazing. It's really, really nice. Um, lots of greenery, mountains. It's very sort of country like. Um, yeah, I mean, depends what what you're into. But I actually really enjoyed it when when I went there. So yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Well, uh, we, we'll we'll pick this up offline. But if, if there's a chance to go to a race somewhere else, I don't mind paying and jumping on a bloody plane. I'd, I'd love to do. It. I, as I said I haven't been to a Formula One race for for years and years and years. It would be it would be so cool to to be there and actually to have someone that's been on the show and actually give a bit of support. I think it'd be awesome. I mean, no, seriously, if we can make that happen, I would be. I'd I'd bite your hand off for that. I'd love that. I think that would be so cool. Yeah, definitely. Ah, oh, definitely, definitely, one hundred percent. There you go. See, ladies and gents, that's all you've got to do. All of you that keep sending Twitter messages into me when I'm in the States on my show saying, you know, I I've stolen kids' ice creams, donuts, whatever it is <laughs> when I'm doing my show over there. Like, well, you've got to behave, though. You've Say got again? to behave when you're coming. Uh, is, that, is that the rule? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll yeah. be on my best behaviour. I'll be on my best behaviour. No, I'm, seriously, I would love to do that. I mean, let, let's pick that up separately. But if there's a chance to come to, to a race somewhere else, I would love to do that. It would be great. That would be, would be so, so cool. Yeah, it would be awesome. It would be awesome to have you. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love it. I'd love it. I might just bring the flags and you know go, go a little bit crazy, you know. But now and I'll, I'll, I'll behave myself. I promise I'll behave. <laughs> uh, yeah, just uh, do you guys have hospitality? This is this is the question now. If you do, which is the best track to go for hospitality? To be honest, for F two and F three, we don't get a lot. You'd think we do because we're with the F one, but um, yeah, mainly we're well. So far, to be honest, I've only raced in the non-European tracks, which everything gets exported. Uh, so everything's flown away. Yeah, yeah it's the same. So with yeah, I yeah. don't actually know what we get in Europe. It's not. I'll get back to you on that one. But I, yeah. I know that we bring our own trucks for that. But I don't know if the team bring a hospitality truck yeah, or anything works. like that. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. But yeah, on, on the other rounds, we're basically in a in a huge tent. Uh, with all the F2 guys and we have all the other teams and we get like a catering another catering tent and, and that's about it really unfortunately nice. <laughs> no I mean for me it would just be nice I mean like I said most of my weekends if, I, if I'm not actually working I'm watching racing anyway so to be trackside and just have a weekend off and just chill would be would be great mm. you know I, li I live for motorsport so for me that would be awesome so mega stuff um, and obviously one question I've got to ask is I'm assuming that you've been named but you are named after the legend Ayrton Senna, I'm assuming. Not quite, no. 
Okay, what's the what's the story then? What's this? Because we actually had a, a motorcyclist on who's called Senna Ages from from um, from Australia, and it was only at the end of that conversation that he said, "Oh yeah, I was named after Ayrton Senna," and I was like, "Oh okay, but you're a biker." So I just I don't know. I just with your first name being Ayrton, <laughs> if there was a link. Um, no, well, a little bit, but it was mainly because my mum and dad were trying to find a name that could be you know easily pronounced and similar in both languages because obviously I'm I'm half Spanish my mum's side is Spanish so yeah gotcha. they were struggling to find a, a boy name that sort of yeah went with both and then it was actually my uncle who suggested the name and my mum liked it my dad's uh, always been a huge fan so he wasn't going to say no to that and that's how it happened <laughs> oh that's cool no I like that I think that's really good um well like I said we've been chatting for 30 odd minutes um final question for me is how can people follow you because i know that obviously we've been pushed since we started the podcast 18 months ago to make sure that we're not just focusing on bikes and like i said we are this year going to be um sort of reviewing um four-wheel motorsport and championships and bringing people up to date with results and things so you're actually the first driver that we've had on that races in a, in a formula one paddock so you know a little bit of history on the podcast today which is great um <laughs> but how stuff. can people how can people follow you obviously i know you are on social media but you know if people want to see how you're getting on how can they do that uh, it will be on Sky Sports F1 for the rounds that we, I mean, we, we don't follow the F1 for every race, but uh, it's very easy. Just type in FIA free and on, on the internet and you'd get the calendar. And uh, yeah, and if we're there, our next one is, is Imola, as we say. So for the Imola race, just uh, usually about three, four hours before the F1 race. If we switch Sky Sports F1, I should be on there. So. Yeah. And again, I think a lot of people do have the sort of the Sky Sports F1, um, the app and everything as well. And all your sessions are on there as well. And I've watched it in the past. And obviously from your own personal social media, Twitter, Instagram, um, I'm assuming people can follow you there. How, how can they follow you there? Yeah, it's just all on um, at Ayrton Simmons. So um, I think my, my Twitter is that, my Instagram's that, and yeah, my Facebook's that, my LinkedIn's that as well yeah just type in there you go nice nice and simple nice and simple so yeah (laughs) so it's ayrton simmons a uh, y r t o n simmons s-i-m-m-o-n-s so uh, give him a follow uh, and uh, send him your support throughout the season so uh, ayrton great chatting to you i could chat for another hour as you probably know we've (laughs) we've actually been talking for two hours before we started the recording and the poor lad was getting so fed up of me waffling on that he just like come on let's get started so um no i'm so glad that you've been on the show and i will definitely reach out to you and uh try not to get into too much trouble trouble track side at one of these european events um because i like i said i think that would be awesome so i appreciate that and uh thanks for being a good sport and and good luck in uh, in imola bay it's an awesome track i've been there many times with with world superbikes uh, a lot of history there um yeah. and uh, have a have a good weekend when you get out there no thank you mate it'll be my first time there so we'll see what we're like good job thanks a lot buddy and speak to you soon thanks for having me on mate thank you Thanks as ever to our guests this week, to Jack Passfield and to Ayrton Simmons. We wish them well in their respective championships for the rest of the season. Well, make sure you stay with us next week because we will, of course, have concluded the Grand Prix of the Americas at the Circuit of the Americas, also known as COTA. Mark Marquez will be making his racing return. And we will have had, of course, the first round of the 2022 Motul FIM Superbike World Championship. Stay with us and we'll see you next week.
Groom, your motorsport fix sponsored by Skins Sexual Health. Ride hard, play safe. The Vroom podcast is presented and produced by me, Michael Hill. It's edited by Gareth Bouch of Vroom Media with music by The Rain Dogs. It is a production of Michael Hill Promotions. Thank you.